0: feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with Margaret Martin, who is a physiotherapist, personal trainer, strength and conditioning specialist, yoga instructor, and an expert in osteoporosis exercise. Margaret is the author of three books, Exercise for Better Bones, Yoga for Better Health, and Strength in Your Core. So, Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Very excited to be here. So, what inspires you to write about osteoporosis
2: and bone health? Well, you know, I had been a physiotherapist for 22 years before I even started talking and writing about bone health, and it dawned on me that in my 22 years, whether it was working in stroke rehabilitation, in pediatrics, in post-surgery, burns, all of those areas that I would focus on the actual, you know, the physical needs that the client had, they all had a skeleton that we were forgetting about. And when I started putting it all together and then um, with myself getting older and seeing my parents' age and my in-laws' age, I was like, wow, we really need to focus on bone health so much more. And I realized there was a big gap in the knowledge between what we needed to do and what we were doing. Well, you know,
1: yeah, I I agree with you on that. I mean, um, when people, you know, especially women of of a certain age come and see me, um, all they know that they can do for themselves is take calcium. And they feel really limited because that's usually not going to get them where they want to be with their bone health. And um, their doctors don't, you know, they offer medication and then they don't say anything else. And, um, you know, I've, been aware that physiotherapists can can help bone health but it's actually hard for people to find somebody that has that knowledge. So I'm really thankful that your books exist now.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I actually found that it was hard to find other physiotherapists that were knowledgeable as well. So I did develop a course uh, for physiotherapists too and kinesiologists and other health professionals Um, and so that two-day course actually um, was taking up a lot of my time, so it's now available online and, and is taught that way. But um, yeah, spreading the word was so very important in the uh, the, the launching of of Melio Guide and the program and the books. So can you just let us know what osteoporosis is
1: and what this means that you're doing this work
2: for it? Yeah, that's a great question, especially early on in the talk, because oftentimes I'll have people go, "Oh, I've, I was told I have osteo." And I'll go, is it osteoporosis or osteoarthritis? And often they don't know. You know, they'll remember part of the conversation with their physician. And so there are two very different conditions. And the osteoarthritis, just to get that out of the way, is something that affects the joints. But the osteoporosis is the bones, the osteo part, but the porosity is that they are less dense. And so it's a combination of the density of the bone but also a lower quality of bone that then makes somebody susceptible to a fracture. So in, individuals, you know, then get that diagnosis, and and become more concerned because they are at a higher risk of fractures.
1: Well, and and I think you know we're all aware of this. As we get older, you can fall and break a hip, and but. Um, I think most people don't think about that until they're in that situation or they have a parent in that situation.
2: I agree. And and unfortunately, the the book and my website were really designed for people that are are younger than the people that most, you know, Osteoporosis Canada or the IOF, or, you know, they're often targeting the elderly, but our bone health starts, you know, in utero. And so, really, it's the the education for our children and our grandchildren and how we could, you know, change the health of somebody's bones throughout their whole life if we could just target it throughout their whole life, you know. So, I often think that people, you know, when making choices, they have to make their choices nutritionally and exercise and not just in terms of, oh, you know, is this going to let me, you know, achieve you know, the race I want to do, but how is this impacting my bones? I know that's a deep thought for a lot of people, but um, I would love the world to be thinking about, you know, you know well, what is this doing for my bones? You know, I love to swim, but, you know, do I need to be swimming five days a week? Because what is that doing on my bone health? And and one of my youngest clients um, was 18 years old, and she already had three fractures of her spine that was, missed, was not diagnosed until... Um, her mom pulled me into the situation just saying, you know, she's been seeing this personal trainer and she just keeps, her back pain keeps getting worse and, you know, from looking at her posture right away um, and taking her history, she was, she had had some developmental um, issues that would have been a red flag for somebody in terms of bone health development. And sure enough, it had already at the age of 18 affected her bones, which was really quite tragic. So,
1: Well, so I mean, that's pretty young to be affected by bone health. Um, what, Who is usually affected um, once they're, I guess, diagnosed? I mean, we all have bones and they can be affected, but what is the most common demographic?
2: Well, probably the most common, i have to say, is women as they're entering menopause, you know, and then through and post-menopausal because of the the lack of estrogen or the decline of estrogen and progesterone you know, has a significant impact on our bones. And then um, Caucasian women are more affected. Um, But there's a huge demographic that, you know, often men will, you know, kind of poo-poo the whole thing and go, "Well, well, I'm not affected. But, you know, they have hormonal issues as well. And the general population, this next population coming up, my children, you know, who are in their 20s, I'm so concerned about them and then the next generation that are just spending so much time sitting and not developing, you know, their spinal health and just, you know, getting that weight-bearing, you know, um, you know the, we used to walk a little bit more than we do now, and, and all that weight-bearing was actually really significant at protecting our bones. So,
1: um, how does somebody go about getting diagnosed with with an issue with osteoporosis?
2: Yes. So the, I guess, um, the pure diagnosis um, that is used in North America and and pretty much most of the world is a DEXA. Um, so the the DEXA test has somebody lying on a table. It's painless. It's very little radiation exposure. Um, there's hip and their spine their lumbar spine or lower lower spine is uh, scanned and those two areas are chosen because there's a significant amount of trabecular bone or soft bone um, which tends to have a better reading because it's a type of bone in our body that turns over faster Um, so if there's something positive on our bones we're going to read it faster in those in the trabecular bone Um, than we would in the cortical bone or the hard bone, so the DEXA is really the gold standard standard for for diagnosis. But you know, occasionally at a health fair or in um, some areas of the country, um, both in the U.S. and Canada, if a DEXA is not available, they'll sometimes do a, an ultrasound of the heel. So that it's, that's officially not a diagnosis, but it could maybe move somebody up the the list to get a DEXA.
1: Okay, so you're, you're, um, you spoke about the generation coming up that are sitting more. Um,
2: how, how is that an issue for our bones? Well, we know that there's two key elements um, in, involved in movement that are important for bones. So we often will hear that we need to do more weight-bearing and we need to do more strength training. And so the weight-bearing part, I mean, my 22-year-old, I can maybe get him to go for a walk with me. Um, but And he, he fortunately took a place where he's like a 10-minute walk to work. But he won't go for a walk just for the sake of going for a walk. You know, I remember as kids, we would just go for a walk because, well, there wasn't much else to do. And we'd just go for a long walk and chat with our friends. But that doesn't happen a lot very much in North America anymore, a very um, seated society. And then... The next thing is technology, which is just taking everybody down um, with them in terms of their head position and their posture and their slouchiness and um, the deep postural muscles that we have that keep us upright and keep our head over our shoulders and therefore that beautiful 11 pounds of our head that's sitting through and, and providing weight and stimulus for our postural muscles those postural muscles aren't working. I have, you know, sometimes uh, young people that come to see me not because of osteoporosis, but more because of either knee or hip or back or or shoulder pain. But I will, you know, assess their postural muscle strength, and it's worse than a seven-year-old. You know, I have 70-year-olds that have much stronger postural muscle strength and, and know how to keep their head, you know, over their shoulders and and have for their you know entire lifetime, but the next generation—it's not enforced in schools, it's not reinforced at home. They don't have the examples of their parents, you know, sitting tall. You know, so it's it's pretty sad. It's um, it's I, I believe going to be a big big issue in the uh, coming decades.
1: Well, you know, I, I remember when my, my niece was little, my mom pointed out, you know, look at her posture, and she sat perfectly straight, probably until she went to school, yeah. and something changed there, but you know, she there wasn't a thought to it, um, that her spine was straight, and then, you know, as we all get older, um, unless we're working on it, um, I, I think that that does decline, unless we're very conscious, just because of sitting at desks, or or everything that you just said.
2: Yeah, but we used to sit at desks in schools, and our teachers made us sit up straight. And mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my clients who's a kindergarten teacher, and she says the children can't even sit in circle time without collapsing. They're like lying on their side, and they just find even sitting up in circle time really hard. Because at mm-hmm. home, they're allowed to slouch and play on devices even at a young age. It's so sad.
1: Yeah, and not not as active as, as you said, just going for a walk yeah. or going out to play at the park. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah. you have a, a a program. What are the four principles of this program? Well, the
2: four principles are really the principles that are um, recognized scientifically. And so they're not my principles. I just highlight them in, in my program. And that um, in order to build bone we need to be site-specific. And I mean, when I say that, I say that if we're going to want to strengthen the bones of our spine and our upper body, we need to do loading for our spine and our upper body. If we want to strengthen our hips, we need the loading to happen at the level of the hips. So that's the first um, principle, that bone building is site-specific. And the second of the four principles is that you need a high mechanical strain to affect bone health. And here as an example is, I have clients that have gone either to, you know, a community fitness class or, you know, curves for a long time, and um, they'll be lifting weights but never truly challenging themselves at, you know, their maximum level. So I'll say, well, how many weights, are you, you know, how, how heavy are you lifting? And they'll go, well, you know, there's a three pound double dumbbell or a five pound dumbbell and I'll do 20 or 30 of these and 20 or 30 of those. Well, I'm glad they're exercising, and I never want to take you know um, that away from them. But unfortunately, that's not a high enough strain rate to stimulate the bones to build. So we need to be lifting more in the in the range of how a let wouldn't say a bodybuilder, but somebody who's truly trying to build strength. So that you know you might start with. A weight that's you know 15 repetitions allows you to fatigue and then 12 repetitions because you don't want to injure yourself by starting too aggressively too fast but eventually you want that weight to feel like man this is heavy and you're lifting eight or ten repetitions and your muscles are too tired to lift anymore so that's important um, do you want to hear the next two
1: um, well, let's do that um, when we come back for a break. I, I'd love to, um, but we're, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back shortly. We're talking today with Margaret Martin and we're discussing um, her books, Exercise for Better Bones, Yoga for Better Bones and Strength in Your Core. We'll be back shortly.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Addiction can
0: affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives. But most
1: importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner.
3: Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back. Um, well, Margaret, before the break, I got you started on um, the, your your program, your four principles for better bones. Can you give us the second two principles?
2: Sure, or the the last two. The last two. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, <good. laughs> um, so the last two are the weight that the, the weight bearing part of it, and and so often people are sent, you know to the doctors and said, well, okay, you know, after they have their diagnosis, and the doctor says, well, you have to do weight-bearing. And, and that's really good advice, because we know that weight-bearing exercises are more important than non-weight-bearing exercises. Now, that doesn't mean that standing alone is good enough. So, the, the fact that weight-bearing is the fact that your, your foot is high, striking the ground, and that vibration is going up from the ankle, you know, through the knee to the hip, and those forces are are absorbed through the bone and the muscles, and the bone responds to that weight bearing, that that vibration. And so, um, within my exercise program, I do have a suggestion of a number of cardiovascular cho- choices that people can make based on their fracture risk. So. You know somebody can look at the program and they go, but I really like that elliptical, but you know, but the elliptical doesn't really build bone as much as brisk walking on a treadmill or light jogging, or you know. So people can start making choices and including other activities, you know, on the weight-bearing scale that will help them with their bones. And then lastly of the four four principles is that, like our brains, our bones really like to be kept on their toes, like kept sharp. And to do the exact same program all the time, I mentioned earlier, you know, p- clients who go, but I've been exercising, you know, for years. I go, you know, I've been going to curves or, you know, or some other class that they do repetitively over and over again, which is great for their cardiovascular and probably helpful for balance and flexibility, but their bones are bored. And bones just go, well, I've done the same thing. It's not a different stimulus. And so they don't respond by building and so that's actually really important for our children too that we've been very um, you know focused on oh they have to become a good hockey player here in Canada or a good football (laughs) player and so they're put into the same you know exercise or sport over and over again but just the more we can provide variety the better it is for everybody's bones so I make sure that in my program that there's a lot of variety and uh, four different
1: levels as well. So so with the variety, I know some people choose elliptical because it um, doesn't put a lot of strain on their joints. So in your program, do you have a, a mix so people can choose something that's not going to, you know, say they have osteoarthritis as well as osteoporosis. Do you have a mix so that people can choose um, something that won't hurt them on another angle?
2: Yes, absolutely. and. I also am really, really careful about teaching people um, both in the written format and all of my exercises are supported in a video format on my website so that people are doing um, their exercises with proper form because so often, even just a basic squat or getting up and down from a chair or a lunge, which is basically how we get up from the floor if people aren't mindful of their alignment or even aware of their alignment, they can't even be start to make changes that are protecting their joints. So um, oftentimes I'll have clients with they'll say, Oh, I don't squat and I don't lunch because of my knees. But if I looked at how you know, if I change their form so that they squat with good form in a way that's protective for their joints, then they are always pleasantly surprised that, wow, I can do this and I can do this pain free. So um, there are options both in the strength and in the um, cardiovascular, but uh, there's also a lot of education so that people can can sometimes make choices that they didn't think they could make.
1: So um, how does somebody get
2: started on this program? Um, well, the lucky ones get to come and see me, um, but everybody <laughs> else around the world, they, um, they will generally, you know, through the purchase of the book, it's pretty self-guided. I've, you know, had clients all over the world, which is really exciting. And sometimes they'll connect with me just for a question or two. But otherwise, um, the book has um, a link to all the exercise schedules. So depending on what level, based on an assessment that I have in the book, that they determine if they're at a beginner, active, athletic, or elite level, they can follow that schedule and they have a choice of, of either a three-day week um, or a six-day week program where they can, um, you know, um, gradually over 12 weeks or however long they need to take um, built into the program. And so it was written so that people could do it in a very self-guided way. I, I did spend 10 years in the States practicing in California, and it really struck me how the inequ- inequity of the healthcare system, um, you know, so that not everybody had access to all of the experts, and a lot of people don't have the means to to privately consult with individuals. So, um, I did, it was important for me that this book be written uh, so that it was it allowed access um, for everybody to to exercise in a way that was safe, and and the program is designed so that. You can um, use minimum equipment and out of your home, so you don't need to belong to an expensive gym or anything else.
1: Um, which I think is important, especially, you know, when we're looking at, um, you said men and women are affected, especially as we get older, um, everybody's affected by this. So it's mm-hmm. something that, that we we should all be looking into on some level, either to make sure we're just doing things properly. Like you said, changing our routine, which some people don't think about. I mean, you know, you kind of find something you like and, and you keep doing that. But as you said, you need to change it or your bones and I, I think other parts of your body get bored as well yeah um so in your book you talk about um breathing how is that important for this
2: well because there's a strong component of you know the strength and the flexibility and the balance the the breathing really comes into play um, when we look at balance and strength Um, and it also is helpful with the flexibility um we All are aware, more and more, you know, people talk about the core, but when they're thinking core, they're thinking muscles, Um, and I'm thinking more the diaphragm, which is the largest muscle of respiration, and the pelvic floor, which is uh, a set of muscles that are supporting us um, in our lowest chakra, basically between our vaginal muscles and our rectum, and so We often don't think about breathing all the way down to our the bottom of our core but it's so important that we do and that we integrate our entire inner core with our breath and so in the book i give examples on on how to integrate that and um, the importance of, of the breath is so that when you're balancing, you will be able to balance so much better. And when you're strength training, you will be able to lift so much heavier. So I will have clients that come to see me and they're not aware at all of their breath. And I'll test them on certain parameters, both on balance and strength. And then when I have them learn the breath and, and say, okay, I want you to take that full deep breath in. And as you're exhaling to gently blow as though you're blowing... The seeds off a dandelion, or you're blowing on one of those little pinwheels or the little soap wands, and if you blow through that, often will, um, or just visualizing that as you're as you're gently blowing, then you will feel a gentle tightening of, for women, of the vaginal floor muscles, and for men, they'll sometimes feel a gentle tightening of the muscles as though their scrotum is being pulled up, and that will then talk to the next layer of muscles, which is our deepest layer of abdominals, our transverse abdominis muscles. And all of that provides a stability that is not available in any other way. And the stability of, of that transverse is then wraps, a, which is a horizontal or like a girdle muscle, um, providing support and stability for our low back, our lumbar spine. Is so... This-
1: yeah, that makes sense. Um, when when we're practicing the breathing, now are we doing the breathing while we're doing the exercises and the strength
2: training? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so. well, you know how you know people say don't forget to breathe. Um, <laughs> well, so with every every repetition, you should have a breath. So you know, if you're preparing to, for instance, bicep curls is an easy one to visualize. So if your arms are down by your side with the weight, you take your breath in. And as you're starting to lift, you start to blow and exhale. And then as the weight's coming back down, you take your breath in again so that your breath is always supporting you through each each repetition.
1: Okay, and you mentioned balance. How is that important?
2: So if, if you're balancing without any um, awareness of your core, um, if you're fortunate and your core automatically kicks in, because for some people it will, Um, then great, but if you're finding that your balance is off and somebody has has told you that you don't have good core control, then you can try integrating the breath that I just mentioned. Um, And in doing so, it will provide much deeper support Um, So that you can start to integrate, you know, if your body starts to sway a little bit to the right, you have something linking your upper body to your lower body and that's your, your deep core musculature.
1: So, um, one, excuse me, one comment that I often get when I recommend for people to, to take up a a certain program, like say, you know, yoga, they say, well, I, I can't balance, so I can't do that. What do you tell people when they say that?
2: Oh, I say everybody can balance. I just have to find the right level to start you at. Um, so, so that's why I actually have the four levels in the book because there are some very basic levels and they start with something as simple as feet together. You're standing between two chairs and you, you, know, you start with that. And, and sometimes for some clients, that's really challenging. They haven't brought their feet together you know, really close in a long time or they haven't done that with their eyes closed. And so you start in ways that um, allows somebody to always succeed but also feel challenged because they have to be able to hold that pose for at least 10, 15 seconds or else you're not able to teach the little receptors in your ankles and feet what to do. If you're always falling over, then it's very hard to improve on your balance.
1: You know, this um, reminds me of the, the WE program for exercise, and they have you, um, as part of their measurement, actually stand on the balance board. and they measure your balance and so it's mm-hmm. how your weight is distributed between left and right and um, which of course is bringing you to your center of gravity and I mean I found that interesting to do that because it's basically what you said is being able to stand and if your weight isn't distributed you're going to have difficulty just standing.
2: Mm-hmm. And not um, just between your feet, but where on your foot, you know, whether it's, are you putting all your weight on your heel? Are you distributing it between, you know, the front of your foot evenly, you know, feeling that sort of triangular base? Um, yeah, so it's, it's just that awareness is the start, it's just wonderful. As you mentioned, The we, as a program, is, is kind of, I've never actually tried it myself, but it's great <laughs> that they give you that awareness.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'd never thought of it before because even if you go to physio or to other things, um, that kind of measurement isn't always done in that way where it's so visual for you. I mean, you can be assessed by somebody, but this is you basically looking at something and then trying to focus on a screen to change that as well. It's part of the, the program. It's been a long time since I've done it, so I hope I'm remembering it right, but it just reminded me of that and how important that was just in in that part. Mm-hmm. In that program. Um, in your book, you talk about tightening your lower tummy. Now, is this the same as what we've just been talking about?
2: Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, it was, um, with every exercise, I'll say, you know, inhale and exhale as you gently tighten your lower tummy. But in, you know, the exercise tips, it's basically, you know, you're tightening your pelvic floor that then in turn tightens your tummy, but that is a very long sentence with every single exercise. So, um, you know, anybody who has either been pregnant or have had any abdominal surgeries or have done exercises that were too aggressive for them or have had back pain, um, there's just so many areas that can um, interrupt the normal reflex that we have between our pelvic floor and our deepest layer of abdominals. So it's really important, especially for, um, you know, the 50-plus population um, to, to really ensure that this inner core set of muscles are functioning well, because otherwise the diaphragm is the top muscle. If you only do the side you know, bracing without any regard to the pelvic floor, then all that pressure can actually be pushed down, which is what happens, because it's going to lead to the lowest wall or the weakest wall, and that's going to um, enhance or possibly cause incontinence.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a quick break we're talking today with Margaret Martin she is the author of uh, three books, Exercise for Better Bones Strengthen Your Co- Core and Yoga for Better Bones and we'll be back shortly
3: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america can grief be good for you absolutely it gets your attention helping you evaluate your choices and relationships your losses define who you are tune in each week for good grief with host cheryl jones our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennefin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects
2: the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with
3: host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on
0: the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking with Margaret Martin. Uh, she's the author of Exercise for Better Bones, Strengthen Your Core, and Yoga for Better Bones. Now Margaret, in your um, book you, you talk, or one, one of them, I actually can't remember which one, but you talk about exercises that are unsafe. So what are things that people, especially with osteoporosis, shouldn't be doing?
2: Uh, so I do talk about it in two of the books, actually, in the Exercise for Better Bones, and I do talk about uh, unsafe uh, yoga poses as well. So the well, let's um, do a brief one on yoga in terms of hips, because the rest will focus on spine. But if somebody knows that they have osteoporosis of their hip, then I've, I I am very uh, weary of uh, people doing the pigeon pose and that is because there's so much rotation. It's a lovely pose, but not for somebody who has weakened bone. That rotation that the hip is put into, and then your body weight is put on top of that, is a lot of torque and, um, and tension for weakened bone. So usually when we break a bone with osteoporosis, it's not you know that one sudden move But every time we put more torsion on a bone that isn't able to handle that torsion or that compression, well, that soft bone that we talked about or the spongy bone, also known as trabecular bone, well, you can snap another one of the rods or cones, the little cross pieces inside, and you snap another one, you snap another one. And so, which time of doing a pigeon pose or which forward bend, which we'll talk about, is the one that's gonna cause the, the fracture? I don't know you know, do you have 5,000 of these left to do or do you have, you know, 200? And so there's so many beautiful poses and so many wonderful exercises out there that we can do without, you know, putting our bones at risk. And so um, so the pigeon pose is one that that I really uh, discourage people to do. Um, but there are alternatives to the pigeon pose in the yoga for better bones. And um, insofar as the other exercises, they pretty much feel, you know, there's many of them, but they all follow the same pattern of putting our spine in a forward slouched position. So in yoga, you'd often have a yin class where people are in forward bends and just sort of, you know, um, their back is rounded. Or in an exercise class, people might be on the floor doing crunches or they might be doing toe touches. Um, And both of those movements, the spine is brought into a forward rounded posture, which um, is going to put, you know, just the fact that we have, you know, 11 pound heads, but the, the weight of the head, the weight of the shoulders, all that is, is loaded down on the, on the vertebral body of our spine. And is going to be loaded more in the front of the spine which we already know is weaker, and then it just leads to more internal cracking and more internal cracking, and then eventually, the spine cannot withstand the weight anymore, and it just compresses the the vertebrae. And, you know, today we do so much forward bending with, you know, our, our as we talked about earlier, our devices, and life just takes us there, um, whether it's a young parent taking care of children or as you get older and you're you know, spending more time cooking and spending more time in front of a TV or on your devices or on your computer, well, I think if you're going to sp- spend 20 minutes or an hour exercising a day, that you really should totally go in the opposite direction and get lots of extension and move away from flexion. So that would be my advice to individuals and to, to exercise instructors is get out of all that forward bending and just open people up.
1: So, by open people up, you mean by um, going the other direction? Exactly. Yeah. Can you give us an example of an exercise that
2: would be that? Yes, certainly. So, I mean, a simple one would be, you know, just standing and and doing what we call a high mountain, reaching up, you know, to the sky in front of you. I have so many clients that haven't brought their arms up over their head in, in years, and so. Just a simple act of reaching to the sky and then slightly behind you is a lovely way to open up and start to to even be aware of the alignment of the spine. And then um, a really powerful exercise that not everybody is strong enough to do today but um, is one that I'm wishful that everybody would build up to doing is where they're on their stomachs with pillows underneath their pelvis And their feet stay grounded, but they're lifting their torso and lifting their arms and raising their head off the ground. And so that is a fabulous exercise that has been studied um, in terms of the benefit on the strength of the spine and the long-term benefits in reducing fractures of the spine. And so that's uh, one, you know, on the strength side of things that I really encourage people to incorporate into their lives so you have a, a, a book
1: on uh, yoga for better bones how does ho- yoga help our bones
2: well uh, when we come to the component of weight bearing um, although there is, you know because the poses that are done in standing they do incorporate weight bearing um, and so far as strength training the the poses that are helpful are those that are done in a very um, more powerful manner, I will often, as a yoga instructor, see people in my classes that that are in a pose, and I know it's a safe pose, but it's not beneficial for them when they're just hanging on their ligaments. so often when I say that is that they're they're not softening their knees or softening their elbows and using the musculature of their body to hold them in position, but rather they're locking their joints. And using their ligaments to hold them in place. And so the pose can look the same, but uh, with a trained eye, you can see which poses are helpful in terms of, wow, there's a lot of muscular activity, and they can see this helping, um, whereas other poses are actually more harmful, especially when it comes to joint health. When it comes to the studies on bone, um, there's very limited, um, you know, compared to. Pure strength training studies, where there are hundreds of studies um, that have been done, there's really only a handful of studies, and oftentimes the participants are self-selected. So, I can see the benefit of yoga, but I really discourage people from just putting, you know, all their eggs in one basket. Just as we talked about earlier, if you, you know, if you're always stimulating the bone the same way, the bone's not going to uh, respond as positively as if you mix things up.
1: Um, Can you give us an example of one of the most common exercises that you give to people? Just um, overall, I know that you do some specific areas for osteoporosis, but what's something that most people end up doing?
2: Well, those that are strong enough, um, the exercise that I did um, explain to you earlier about, you know, being on the pillows over on the floor... And, and being able to lift your torso. Anybody that presents with low bone density of their spine or osteoporosis of their spine, that is my go-to exercise, only because it has been so well studied and, you know, it's kind of been proven to, to be beneficial both short-term and long-term for individuals. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people can't get there, so we start with um, ways of integrating their strength in their back in, in simpler ways. But the next go-to exercise would be the squat. And, you know, I know when I say squat, people go, oh, they're visualizing, you know, 50 pounds on on a crossbar, you know, off the shoulders. And when I say squat, it's simply getting from a chair to a standing position back to a chair. And having people learn to do that where they're actively keeping their spine engaged in the process and keeping their knees in a safe position so that they could eventually progress that squat in a way that will allow them to build their hips and their spine um, in a safe way.
1: Um, so when when people um, do your program, what changes do you see over time in their bone health and, and other things you're working on?
2: So the other things, the biggest thing is confidence. Um, so often when people come to see me and they've, they've been diagnosed, they almost feel paralyzed in that they're, they feel like their bodies let them down, and like I can't believe I've been diagnosed with osteoporosis. I've always been active. You know, I have, I have iron man level athletes that we know that you know high endurance sports is actually not good for us, our bones. And these people are like, but I exercise hours at a time. But unfortunately, they, are, they have not chosen the the right exercises. So once they, you know, we can go through. What it is was the causing factor or factors, and they go, "Oh, okay, so I, I can be in control of this." And so, just having that empowerment and that control, and then and then being able to have the confidence to move again, because that's really what they need to be doing. Is, but they need to be moving in an intelligent and safe manner. So that would be probably the biggest um, psycho emotional component to doing the program, and in terms of um, Bone density and bone quality. I have, I don't personally test people, but I do get emails from people all, all over the world, which is lovely, and they'll tell me, give me changes in their bone density results. Um, they'll give me changes in their level of function. Um, we know that, and that's, that's the tough thing, you know, when it comes to exercise and bone, is that when, when we're testing people, we're really only testing bone density and they come to me with their bone density results. But that's just half the picture. The other half the picture is their bone quality. And exercise affects, especially uh, as I started as an adult, exercise will affect the quality of the bone much more than it affects the density of the bone. Some studies have even shown that it almost has a reverse, not that the density changes, but it, the, the numbers don't reflect the change in the quality of the bone. And so, you know, bone quality people then go to me and they go, well, how do I test for bone quality? And you can test for it with a PQCT machine, but peripheral quantitative computer tomography, but we will never have access, you know, as, as general individuals to, to these machines. They're used in studies, um, but, you know, they've, all the studies in terms of exercise and the more recent ones where they actually look at the quality of the bone, we know that exercise has a really tangible you know, change in bone quality which then translates into a protective effect in terms of fracture risk. So how long
1: does it take for somebody to see these changes?
2: Well um, oftentimes the studies that are done um, they, they will find that six months they'll see a little bit of change but uh, the better studies go on for years, and so there's a group in Germany that ha- you know, have been working with mo- women and, and, you know, c- continually tweaking programs to see what's the best. And you know, when when people are going on for for years at a time, there's significant um, changes. And part of the reason for the time delay is that, unlike other organs. You know, like our skin, and we get a cut, and then we're like, oh, you're looking on your hand. Was that my right hand or my left hand? Because you heal so fast in your skin. But in your bones, the turnover of bone is very slow. It takes 10 years for your entire skeleton to renew itself. And so, you know, in the course of a year, technically, you're going to have a 10% change in your bone skeleton. And, you know, I say to people, but if you're, why worry about it, you know, how fast it changes? Because... If you're taking on exercise as your approach to taking care of your bones, then it's the impact is, is gradual and it's daily, but you're in it for the long run. You know, you're in it to, to build gradually and get stronger. And and so take the time you need to make sure you enter the program safely and that it's engaging you to allow you to continue this as a lifetime approach to keeping your bones strong and keeping yourself Um, enjoying the quality of life that you love to do. So is there a
1: certain age that people should be when they start thinking about their bone health and start a program like this?
2: Uh, Yeah, but usually they're too young to (laughs) to think about it. Um, I mean, ideally as parents, you know, we should be thinking about this when, you know, as soon as they're, you know, able to, to take any nourishment of any sort you know I mean start staring and then as soon as they're crawling and then encouraging them to, to move when they can move and you know I, when I see three year olds in these little strollers that are like little hammocks and their spines compressed for hours because it's more convenient for the parent than running around after the child it's like oh it's so sad um, but it, this program is really going to challenge anybody from you know today from the age of 20 onwards I have you know, I have some 50-year-olds that um, are able to do the athletic level, and I have 20-year-olds starting at the beginner level. So it's it's uh, you know, the whole gamut of the population.
1: Well, it, it, it makes sense that um, just like we all think about we should take our calcium for our bone health, um, we should be doing something like this, um, or at least being aware that the exercises we're doing, whether or not they're helping us or hindering us. Like you said, you've had triathletes who have bone density issues, so just mm-hmm. to be aware if what we're doing is the right thing over time to, to maintain that bone health that we want. Yeah,
2: exactly. So is there a
1: way that people can get a hold of you or your program if they want more information? Yeah, so
2: the easiest way would be through my website. And I should explain the name of the website. Uh, So it's MelioGuide, M-E-L-I-O-Guide.com. And we had, you know, several different titles for the name of this website. But, you know, if you you have anything that's related or potentially used by a pharmaceutical company somebody's going to call you up and say we've trademarked that so um melio means to make better as in the word ameliorate but there is the word melio rate and so it's the better guide the better guide to building stronger bones and about and a stronger body and so on the Guide guide the, there will be a library that you can uh, Get access to my books. That will take you to Amazon, and I've also just produced a DVD. So I'm very excited. That's going to be on my in my library, and then in the upcoming month. And um, so that's probably the best way. There's a contact form there if they do want to get a hold of me personally. Um, but yeah, that would be the oh, perfect. Best way. Thank you. <laughs> perfect.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great
2: show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much for having me and for letting me uh, share my passion with your listeners.
1: Oh, perfect. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this
0: week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks.